is The Straight Dope, episode 29, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So I, I mentioned I was going to go to a PRS match, and I did over the weekend, and uh, there was a lot of lessons learned. <clears throat> so I'm going to kick it off right off the bat. For those of you who haven't been to that type of match, what happens is, is a bunch of folks show up, and they're divided into squads, and those squads typically start on their squad number in terms of the number of the stage. So if there's 10 squads and there's 10 stages... Squad one starts on stage one, two, so on and so forth, and then you rotate. In this case, there was, um, I'm not sure how many stages there were, to be honest, 17, 18. And, um, and, and, and so, you know, we started and we shot 10, 10 uh, stages on, on Saturday, and then uh, there was a second day of shooting, and, and I'll, get, I'll get to that later. Um, so it, it was pretty cool. We had uh, three folks that had never shot a competition, and then a bunch of guys uh, that had and knew each other. On on day one, uh, usually what happens is you, you know you go up, you get a booklet that describes the course of fire and um, has the target ranges provided, and and then a, a general description of of what you're going to do. You show up. There's a official there uh, called an RO, and you pick the shooting order. Or, or you know, basically, usually it's like however you're listed in a in an iPad or or something like that, and then uh, people start shooting, and and everyone's allowed to watch and look at the targets and prepare, and and if if squads want to discuss how they're going to do it and kind of try to come up with the best strategy, uh, and then it, you know people that don't know each other may or may not do that, and and I was excited to see how uh, squads kind of used kind of a group think mentality. And and I got to see some of it, and and we we tried some of it, um, but really, uh, you know, every stage on day one, we shot either with just a single bag on something or bag and a and a and a bipod prone. So there wasn't really any fancy techniques of tripods that I was hoping to see, or or anything unusual. It was it was pretty straightforward. Um, so in in that regard, I kind of left empty-handed, hoping to go and see some fancy tricks. But on the other hand, I wasn't shooting with any of the like top 10 shooters or, or, or something like that. I, I didn't really see scores. Um, but apparently I did pretty good day one. And, um, and, but, but, but we, you know, we were just having fun and shooting and, and it, there wasn't anything tricky that needed fancy competition skills for. It was pretty much just targets. And so, uh, I was expecting because I had heard that they were, you know, they were super hard matches, with tiny targets, and and you know, crazy time hacks, and and I realized that actually it it wasn't intimidating like it sounded, and so I wanted to, you know, first of all, tell people that if you'd heard of crazy time hacks and extremely difficult shooting, like this, this just wasn't necessarily the case, um, at least not to the level that I was expecting. The targets were about you know one and a half to two MOA. And we had two-minute time hacks. Often the, the the targets were spread out across a wide uh, span, which made uh, interesting wind calls or made you had to be dynamic in your position, build and break. But but I, I, I train a lot of that. So I never really felt pressured for time and uh, the ability to, to build and break those things, those, those positions. Now, if you're not shooting in the one-and-a-half to two MOA range, you know, you're, you're going to naturally miss shots that you take that were perfect trigger pulls just because of the statistical significance of 
you know, your shooting group size. But beyond that, it was a wind call thing and winds weren't, um, weren't ridiculous. And so my guess is that this, you know, I, you know, again, I, I didn't really look at scores, so I don't know what, how it was, but my guess is we, they probably had some pretty reasonable, uh, hit percentages and it, and it was fun. The new shooters in our squad did struggle. Um, and, and so I want to talk about the, the things that a newer shooter to competition struggles with versus people that had uh, more experienced um, competition. Uh, God, I just tongue-tied myself. Anyway, you get what I'm saying. The new shooters uh, struggled to not only build a stable position on a bag because they were seeing us build those positions on bags, but but also uh, find the, the targets. And they had cheap scopes. And, and I think one of the things is that, A, they didn't practice position building because they, they probably just didn't realize the extent to which you need to be able to build a quick position and have a stable rifle that's not rocking. And so almost um, you, you may have seen people like hold the rifle like they're going to shoot offhand and then put their hand on the bag so that the, the rifle supported by the hand that's still rocking the rifle, even though the, the bag is kind of uh, resting that wobble a little bit, it's still not as stable as a firmly planted rifle with a natural kind of point of aim driving it forward. And then the ability to manipulate your magnification so that you have a wide field of view to see the targets and then zoom in on the target itself to the level that's appropriate. A lot of seasoned shooters are shooting, you know, 10, 15 power, and that allows you to kind of do both. But these guys were spending an awful lot of time manipulating their equipment before they even got on to a, a sight picture. Like my, my guess, I didn't film it, but but I would say, I would feel comfortable saying that, you know, some of them were getting their final sight picture, you know, ninety seconds into the stage, so they'd break a shot, or sixty seconds into the stage, they'd break a shot, and then they'd time out looking for their second target. Um, some of them took a couple shots, but those were the skills that you know, I think that they left realizing that they need to practice. And it was pretty obvious. And at the end of the match, you know, they said, you know, one thing that they struggled with was the ability to actually see the targets in the natural terrain that we were in. And when they initially bought their rifle scopes, it was at a store and everything was clear and the glass seemed great. But out in the field, um, they couldn't identify the targets. They could see the markers that were assigned to it. And that, that's another thing. Um, all of the targets had markers next to them to identify them for the appropriate stage, which was nice because most of the markers you could see with your naked eye as a shining bright color. And a lot of thought and effort was put into that kind of setup, which was really cool. But then near there was the target, and these guys were struggling to see it. So afterwards, they asked to look through our scopes and compare different brands of rifle scopes. So they were able to look. We had we had a guy that, that shoots for uh, Vortex, and, and I had a Night Force, and we had a loophole there, and we had a Maven and some other ones. And, and we lined up all the scopes so these guys could look forward look at the targets and they were really impressed by some of the glass because they could actually see the targets and they wished that they had um, known that in advance because some of those issues would have been solved by quality glass and um, and it was mentioned that that the price point to them didn't didn't mean as much as the ability to actually use it effectively and so they didn't realize the significance of glass quality and 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 so and having seen different 
types of glass myself, but not a new shooter that was really blown away and struggled with that. Like the realization when those lights came on, it was, it was pretty impressive. And I think that they really appreciated to be able to look through the rifle and also they had light rifles. And so, um, I believe a couple of the shooters, uh, allowed them to shoot their rifles afterwards just to see the difference that weight and chassis systems made. And I know there was some MDT guys there that, um, allowed them to, uh, you know, handle and, and see their equipment. So, so that was pretty cool. Or, or guys that had MDT chassis or whatever. I'm, I'm not going to name names in this podcast because, um, you know, that's not, that's not the, that's not the sentiment here. Um, so that, that was one thing that was, was really cool. Another thing that I noticed was, um, you know, a lot of thought into stage design was put in, which was pretty cool. Like, uh, you know, you had some movement, but not too much. You had target swings that you had to remember, but not too much. There wasn't crazy sequence of fire that I was expecting. Uh, some of the local matches that I've been talking a lot about that are amazingly well run, and probably my very favorite things about shooting at the moment, they have like, they've started to become very complicated in the sequences and the positions. And, and it's very challenging and fun and exciting and rewarding to go shoot. And I was kind of expecting that on another level and that just never showed up. Uh, but one thing that I didn't anticipate was that out in the natural terrain, um, I'm, you know, I kind of pride myself on being able to find targets quickly and in hunter style matches or field matches where you have to locate range and engage, I've practiced a lot and spent a lot of time in the field where I can find targets very fast. But often, because they're hidden, they're spread all over the place. But these ones, and and I don't know if if the train of thought is is correct or not, but they were just close enough together that if you had one in your field of view, the next one was just out of it, but so close that if you looked up or repositioned or did something wrong and didn't index exactly where you were, it was very easy to get on the wrong target and not realize that you were on the wrong target. Let's say you had to shoot five targets, you know, shoot here, shoot the next one, the next one. It was very easy to shoot out of sequence. And and not only did did I shoot some out of sequence, uh, but a lot of other shooters on the squad just because of those fine, subtle details shot out of sequence, which is attention to detail and it's a mental mistake. And it's something that, that was really, um, I didn't expect that to be a challenge. And I found myself m- marking down on multiple occasions, shot a target out of week sequence, realized it because they don't, they don't call impact if you do something wrong. Even if you hit the wrong target, they don't tell you that you're out of order, that, or at least that was the general rules. And so you think, wow, that was weird. I just shot at that. I didn't see anything, but they also didn't say anything. Oh shit, I'm on the wrong target. So you refind it, and which which I found, and I thought that was really cool, actually. And and I remember I was going there to see, you know, to identify things that I could train, and and I wasn't really going there with the intention of like, oh, I'm gonna go kick ass and get points and stuff like that. I was going to be like, wow, you know, I've heard all these great things, and I want to see it for myself. That was uh, a big valuable take home was paying more and closer attention to the details and and not forgetting that, that you can make a mistake on what seems like a simple uh, target identification and be on the wrong target. And, and so I'm going to try to raise my level of being able to identify those targets. Another thing that was, was pretty cool is that... Um, a lot of the targets they they would swing they're on hangers so um 
there weren't a lot of skyline targets. So if you did miss, you could make a wind correction. And so I noticed that, that, um, you know, the, on day, uh, let's see, on day one, I think I dropped 12 shots and, um, the three of them were, were sequence related and, um, nine of them were first round wind call misses and then, and then getting back on target and, and, um, and and then that, no no not not uh, let's see three of them were sequences two of them were actually elevation, um, and seven of them were first round wind misses. So I felt like I was pretty proud of myself on being able to um, see my miss, make a wind correction, and then hold that mile an hour through those targets. And so so I wrote down that the, you know yes that's good, but two. Um, you know, it's good to make a correction. And I know that, that, that the best shooters, they're able to make corrections on plate. And in, in my instance, like I wasn't able to do that as much as um, just make that initial shot. And I know that, that the very best guys are able to read the terrain well enough to make first round impacts and then carry that through to clean stages. And so, um, you know, the the at the end of the day, I was better able to do that, but they were a little bit closer and it was trained that I was a little bit more able to better read that. But, but, but I did, I did get caught on that. So when, you know, just like everything, wind is one of those valuable skill sets that once you're able to shoot positionally consistent, you want to layer in that wind. And so, um, up to this point, you know, we've, we, we just had one bag and bipods and the tripods that everybody had, um, it was pretty impressive to see like, the two vets tripods just dominate everything, but, but they were simply used for, um, looking through binoculars and spotting. We were used to spot for our squad. So, um, you know, we were calling impacts and misses and, 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 uh, that worked really well. And, and in, in that regard, the, the squad worked, um, amazingly, uh, smoothly. And it, it was pretty fun. We, I think we had a good time and everything, um, flowed pretty well the the flow of the stages when they're squads is much slower than a field match and so you end up spending a incredibly long day out there whereas when they're uh you know the same number of people can get through the same number of stages in half the time almost you know or, or at least two-thirds the time when they're run like a hunter match so there's some there's some room for improvement with that, and largely it's just because you're you're saying so much shit over and over again and repeating and repeating, and and it turns out that almost all of that shit that's said in the repeating is completely meaningless, and so uh, you just spend a lot of time just kind of standing around and not actually not actually shooting. So uh, you know you need to be prepared with drinks and snacks, and they provide lunch typically at a match, and and most matches provide. Water. This one had coolers with water bottles in it, which was which was nice, so that people could stay hydrated. Um, but you know, a, a, a little sandwich when you're out there for um, ten hours, or um, you know, you're kind of at the facility for twelve hours, but you're shooting for ten. You definitely want to have food, drink, sunblock if, if if you wear sunblock, and and different layers of clothes because it went from cold to hot and and stuff like that. Which which was pretty cool. I think that um, overall, you know, most of most of that day, uh, it reaffirmed that positional shooting in different heights had had its advantages, and and trusting that your shots were good, so that when things went wrong, um, you knew that it was wind or or something like that, 
versus kind of wild guessing as to where what and 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 that kind of stuff happened. So I felt I felt pretty good about that and and I enjoyed kind of the discussion and and also seeing other people's equipment. So I'm going to take um a moment for a sec. One guy had what are called scope chaps on his scopes and I had never heard of or seen scope chaps but um the it's like scope C H A P S but it's basically like a um a cover for the front bell of your scope with Velcro on both sides. And it has those like speed lace systems. They're handmade, but they're custom made to your particular scope brand with Velcro. So you could put patches if you want, but for a field match, I think that it would be a really cool thing to have because um, a lot of times you have dope cards and wind cards and all sorts of stuff that you might want to access. And if it's only on an arm board, uh, you know, you might also be able to take it, you know, be like, okay, I need that one. So you yank it off and you stick it on. For example, if you need to have like a reticle range chart or a cheat sheet or a wind cheat sheet or, um, you know, whatever it is, having that ability to stick patches or Velcro stuff onto that. And it looks nice. Um, so I I was really cool and I'm going to order some for my scopes. And I thought like, wow, I had never heard of it. So maybe you'd never heard of it. So check it out on, on that, on their website. I think that I, I checked that out and, um, it seems like a really cool thing and, and with a lot of versatile and creative things that you could do with it in addition to just being able to slap patches on and, uh, that kind of stuff to make yours. But anyway, that, that was the coolest kind of product that I saw directly. Uh, and then a bunch of chassis and, and scopes and binoculars and stuff. So it's, it's a cool way to see equipment and talk with people, how they're, how they're using stuff and ask about, um, you know, ways that they might approach it. But, uh, but, but so, so that was, that was how, uh, that went. And I was pleasantly surprised that that it was fun and, you know, everything was, was smooth and polite. And, uh, the course of fire was complex enough to be challenging, but not overly complex. And so I was pretty convinced that there was going to be a lot of people that like potentially could clean the match and I, I don't know, maybe maybe somebody did, but um, but my guess is scores were all pretty high after that first day, especially considering that um, you know I didn't drop that many shots. Uh, so um, that led us towards um, right. So that that's kind of like the good. The bad is uh, our squad literally witnessed a, a match director lie two shooters manipulate ROs and threaten shooters and made it very clear and in a very disrespectful way when I tried to help out and offer a little bit of de-escalation that my opinion didn't mean mean anything and that they were not only a professional shooter but uh, were paid to be you know, a person of influence in the community. And so, so that's that, right? I mean, if, if, if anything was going to come of that, it would be uh, up their chain of command because uh, I'm of of no consequence. Uh, And, and that was the bad for me. And, you know, we'll see what happens down the road. Uh, I'm looking forward to trying more PRS matches because, you know, with, with different match directors, obviously, and, um, you know, trying to have a good second day, uh, and, and 
already look forward to doing other uh, two-day matches, you know, regardless of the affiliation with 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 a um, organization or not, because you know, really, shooters that are participating are going to have fun and and not trying to pull off any kind of weird agenda stuff. And and really, it, it, you know, the the only thing that we can do is keep trying to push that positive growth and 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 try to you know blow off and push behavior towards a more positive. Um, style of I, you know it, it just it's just really weird you know um I, I wouldn't have predicted it but uh but we have we have the control to make the future and make the world and community that we want so if we work together we'll just make it a better place and um you know to hell with the people that make things a bad place you just change it for the better and you do that by taking actions and behaving in a way that that doesn't uh tolerate it and and so you know you make it clear and you just say all right cool you know you can be a worthless human and and it's not going to affect my life and i'm going to continue uh trying to pursue being a better shooter and a better friend and a better participant and try to build a local community that nurtures growth and and i and i and i see plenty of people doing that so um you know one bad apple doesn't mean anything and uh and and so uh, we'll continue to make steps towards um, towards our goals and, and, and keep kind of <laughs> reporting. And, and I think that's all I have to say about that.